Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State, covering agriculture from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. The drought continues to worsen in Texas. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up. This season's rice harvest are bringing exceptional yields. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. The U.S. settles its Mexico water debt, and the citrus harvest is underway. Those stories and more in today's report. We'll have those stories along with the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domo with news headlines. Nearly half of the state is now suffering from some form of drought. According to the Texas Water Development Board, 46% of Texas is under moderate or worse drought. That's up three percentage points from last week. While drought conditions have improved in the panhandle, drought expanded across east and central Texas. The board says a fifth of the state is abnormally dry and vulnerable to drought expansion in the coming weeks. The Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service will host a webinar on supplemental feeding of livestock for West Texas cattle producers November 17th. The webinar begins at 8.30 a.m. A link to register is available on today.agrilife.org. U.S. lamb exports were higher in September in terms of both volume and value. According to the U.S. Meat Export Federation, January through September exports were up 36 percent to 16,399 metric tons. Federal lawsuits filed against Bayer claiming its weed killer Roundup causes cancer may move forward. According to Reuters, U.S. District Judge Vince Chabria has not extended a stay on the cases while mediators try to work out a settlement. Mediator Ken Feinberg gave the judge an update on the mediations in a Zoom hearing. According to Reuters, there are nearly 2,000 cases against Roundup in federal court claiming that the weed killer causes non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The rest of the cases are in state courts. Bayer, which acquired Monsanto in 2018, maintains that Roundup is safe for human use. Farmers and ranchers have until December 11th to sign up for the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program at their Farm Service Agency office. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The 2020 Texas rice crop produced exceptional yields. Tom Nicoletti talks with a Southeast Texas rice farmer as he wraps up this year's harvest. For today's program, we go to Wharton County in Southeast Texas and uh, we catch up with rice farmer Tim Gertzen. And he is uh, on his farm uh, harvesting uh, his uh, second crop of the season. It's called the Ratoon crop. And uh, Tim, tell us how that uh, harvest is going, what the rice looks like. 
the rice looks really good. We've had a uh, we've had great weather over the past few weeks. It uh, hasn't gotten too cold. It stayed warm enough for the rice to continue to ripen up. The rain's held off, so we're in there cutting second crop right now. We're actually anticipating our yields to get even better because we're cutting second crop that got rutted up during first crop. And our later first crop, we cut on smooth, firm ground. So here in about a week and a half or so, we'll be into some really good-looking second crop, really uniform, quality-looking grain, and we're expecting some pretty outstanding yields on it. We've had a really uh, really good year so far. Give us an idea of uh, the type of yields you're hoping uh, on this second crop, and that's what, per uh, pounds per acre? Yes, yeah, we're talking pounds per acre, and uh, so right now on the stuff we're cutting that that was rutted up, we're seeing uh, we're seeing second crop yields in the two thousand to thirty eight hundred pounds per acre range, and as we get into our better stuff, we're expecting that to go up into the uh, four thousand to fifty five hundred pounds per acre range, which is a uh, a really good second crop that'll give us a total two crop yield that will be uh, touching on the 15,000 to 16,000 total range, which is, a, which is an exceptional year. That's not a good year. That's a great year for, uh, t- for the Texas rice crop this year. And what do you attribute that success? We had great success mostly due to the weather this year. We didn't have an overly hot summer. 80 degrees in the evening is kind of a trigger point. We need it to get down below 80 degrees for most of the growing days in the summer to, to, and cool off to keep quality uh, good. And, and that happened. So we had, uh, we had some pretty decent quality and we had some really excellent overall yields this year. Tim, what about your uh, rice crop? Where does it head after you uh, harvest it there in the field? Uh, what's your market? So right now, while we're cutting our second crop, we're also loading trucks out. So I've got trucks loading out, going to the mill. I've got some going to Gulf Rice Mill in Houston, and that's getting bagged up. So a lot of this stuff right now is getting bagged up and going into grocery stores. It's also going and uh, a lot of stuff goes to restaurants. That business is a little bit slower just because of the uh, pandemic that's going on. So the uh, industrial side, the commercial side, doesn't have quite the business that they're, that they're used to. But on the other side, markets straight to consumer that you buy in the grocery sales, those markets have grown some. And what type of uh, rice do you grow out there? I grow 100% long grain. So I'm all long grain, and uh, it gets packaged under a variety of brands. So all, almost any brand in the store that you buy could possibly be uh, rice from my farm. So we sell to a lot of different buyers. That is Tim Gertzen. He is a rice farmer in Wharton County in Southeast Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The water dispute between the U.S. and Mexico has been settled, while South Texas fruit harvest gets underway. Jim Hearn reports from the Rio Grande Valley. The U.S. and Mexico have finally settled the water dispute, the five-year water cycle, which ended in late October. Mexico, which had said earlier that they would honor the debt, waited until almost the last minute to transfer the remaining ownership of water to the United States ledger. Well, Mexico farmers are still up in arms about the water issue. Farmers and many storekeepers along the rivers uh, where the water was taken still say they need all of that water for their usage, not the U.S., 
and we'll have another five years now to settle it. Now, I guarantee in five years from now, we'll be fighting this issue once again. Well, the Valley has started the citrus harvest, both grapefruit and oranges, the grapefruit crop. Going to be a little life this year, thanks to Hurricane Hannah's 80-mile plus winds that blew a lot of the fruit off the trees. Oranges, uh, well, they fared much better in the hurricane, but fruit sizes still remain small. And at this late date, fruit really not going to grow much larger. Onion planting is starting to wrap up. Vegetable planting is moving along. And the sugarcane harvest, well, that's also about ready to get moving as well. With the settlement of the water issue, though, with Mexico, Valley Agriculture and Municipal Usage, should be in good shape. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. The Patriot Project by the American Farm Bureau Federation helps veterans transition from military service to careers in agriculture. As we celebrate Veterans Day this week, Michael Clements shares how the project works. The American Farm Bureau Federation Patriot Project helps veterans adapt to farming and ranching through mentors. Veteran Damon Helton, Arkansas Farm Bureau member and Patriot Project mentee, says the project connects veterans with farmers. It's like a mentorship program. So here in Arkansas, I was teamed up with a guy who was successful in farming and other business ventures, and he kind of showed me the ropes. So it's an opportunity to take young entrepreneur veterans that are business-minded trying to build something and gives them a mentor with someone who's been successful. Through the Patriot Project, Helton says veterans learn how to run their farm like a business. For me, I was very serious about it being a business model. I wanted to succeed and grow and feed my community. But in order to do that, you have to treat it like a business. and You have to understand what your input costs are and you have to understand your margins and you grow and you're going to need employees. And so I really learned how to run my farm like a true business. Elton calls agriculture a natural fit for veterans. We're predisposed coming out of the military for all the things that being a farmer requires. Long hours, early mornings, very strenuous, dirty work. We're searching for that service that we've lost when we get out. And so agriculture is just an amazing fit for that because that's truly what it is. It's service to our nation. Learn more about the Patriot Project at FB.org. Michael Clements, Washington. In the late 1930s, there were only 18 whooping cranes. How many are there today? I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have the answer on Texas Ag Today. And of course, we've heard a lot about novel viruses since the COVID-19 pandemic began, but now we have one that affects cattle. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, if you're like me, you had never even heard of a novel virus before the COVID-19 pandemic. But of course, we know what it is now, and there's a new one out there that affects cattle. 
Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on this new cattle virus. A novel virus called bovine kobu virus has been identified for the first time in the United States. Bovine kobu virus, or BKV, was initially discovered in Japan in 2003 and has now been found in eight other countries around the world as of 2019. Dr. Lei Wang from the University of Illinois discovered the virus in a fecal sample from a calf with diarrhea. Two additional calves with diarrhea were found to have kobu virus, and two other calves that died were positive for the virus but did not have diarrhea. Although there is no direct evidence that KBV causes diarrhea in calves, recent work in their labs suggests this is the case. Dr. Wang believes the virus may be common in U.S. cattle herds, but has not been detected except at his lab. A study in Brazil indicates the virus was present in 20% of their calves less than two months of age and similar findings were found in South Korea. So it is likely just as prevalent in our cattle population. Currently, there is no known treatment for the virus, and Dr. Wang indicates it is important to start examining calves for the virus to determine how widespread it is and how many cases of calf diarrhea could be related to this novel virus. If we don't look for it, then we don't know if it's involved in diarrhea cases or not. Initial testing indicated calves positive for the Kobu virus were also positive for other gastrointestinal pathogens. So it is hard to know which organisms actually cause disease or was it a combination of pathogens. As far as we know at this time, this virus does not infect people. Hopefully we will have a commercial test soon to check for the presence of Kobu virus and potentially develop a vaccine if needed. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. In the late 1930s, there were only 18 whooping cranes in the United States. How many are there today? Jessica Domel has the answer in today's Wildlife Report. If you hear that sound, chances are you are close to an endangered whooping crane. This month, whooping cranes are making the 2,400-mile trek from Canada to winter on the coast of Texas. They stand around 5 feet tall and can have a wingspan of 7.5 feet, according to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Whooping cranes are white with rust or reddish-colored patches on the top and back of their head. They have yellow eyes and long black legs and bills. When flying, you can see the black on their primary wing feathers. Wade Harrell, U.S. Whooping Crane Recovery Coordinator for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, says most of the whooping cranes will arrive on the Texas coast by mid-December. They typically stay near the Aransas National Wildlife Refuge in Ostwell. For a pair of breeding whooping cranes, typically they'll take three or 400 acres of habitat to be able to find all the food they need in the winter. So they have expanded into marshes well beyond just within the Aransas National Wildlife Refuge. So we work with a number of private landowners that uh, have whooping cranes that spend the winter on their properties. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, in the mid-1800s, there were as many as 1,400 whooping cranes. By the late 1930s, the population dwindled down to just 18. Now, thanks to efforts to protect the birds and their habitats, their population continues to grow. Our population estimate from last winter, the survey we did, indicated a, a minimum of 506 individuals. So it was not a great nesting season. We don't think in Canada, but I would expect a little over 500 birds to be here this winter. What can you do to help the endangered species? Wade will tell us on the next Texas Wildlife Radio Show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. 
The livestock markets took a breather after that big jump on Monday. However, the grain markets really got a shot in the arm from USDA. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market took a bit of a breather on Tuesday. However, we did manage to hang on to most of those big gains that we had on Monday. We had a mixed close in live cattle futures, mostly lower close in feeder cattle. December live cattle up 5, 111.87. The February up 2 at 115.10. April live cattle down 10 cents, 118.27. Feeder cattle closing lower, feeling the pressure from a big jump in the corn market. We'll get to that here in just a minute. But first, November feeder cattle down 77 cents at 140.85. January down 32, 140.40. March feeder cattle down 40 cents, 139.55. Cash fed cattle trade still at a standstill. We do have some asking prices, though. It looks like the feedlots are very optimistic this week. Asking prices now at 112 and higher. Boxed beef prices higher. Choice taking a nice jump up 462. 222.01. Select jumped even higher up 554. 207.91. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. Live Oak Livestock in Three Rivers, Texas, selling 1,340 head this week. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.28 to $1.82 a pound. Three to four weight steers, $1.24 to $1.72. Four to 500 pounders brought $1.18 to $1.64. Five to six weight steers, $1.10 to $1.48. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar six to a dollar thirty-eight, while the seven to eight weight steers brought ninety-four cents to a dollar thirty-two a pound. Slaughter cows twenty-six to fifty-six cents. Slaughter bulls sixty to seventy-eight. Stocker cows five hundred to one thousand twenty-five a head. Cow calf pairs six twenty-five to one thousand fifty a pair. Nixon Livestock Commission in Nixon, Texas, selling 1,848 head. The trend steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.29 to $1.88 a pound. Three to four weight steers, $1.28 to $2. Four to 500 pounders, $1.28 to $1.95. Five to six weight steers, $1.09 to $1.63. Six to 700 pounders, $1.05 to $1.30 with seven to eight weight steers bringing 97 cents to $1.29 a pound. Slaughter cows, 18 to 65 cents. Slaughter bulls, 78 to 85. Stocker cows brought 650 to 960 a head. Cow-calf pairs, 770 
to 780 a pair. Back over to the futures market now, lean hog futures closing lower December down 47 cents, 65.12. The February down 87, 67.57. Class 3 milk was higher, December milk up 75 cents, 1981, 100 weight. USDA releasing its World Agricultural Supply and Demand Report on Tuesday morning, and it had some surprises in there for both the cotton and the grain markets. The surprise in the cotton market was somewhat bearish. USDA actually increased the 2020 crop in its estimate. Most traders were thinking the government would reduce the crop, given all of the weather problems that we've had, drought here in Texas, as well as all these storms hitting the Delta in the southeast. However, what happened, USDA upped the production in Kansas by 400,000 bales, and that made the report somewhat bearish. We closed with December cotton down 15 points, 69. 985, the March down three at 71.65. Now the grain markets, well, they were off to the races after the report. Corn and wheat ending sharply higher. Now the wheat numbers, mostly neutral. Nothing really helping out the wheat market there. However, the wheat market did kind of ride the coattails of the corn market higher. USDA lowered the yield to 175.8 bushels, and then they upped their exports for corn to 325 million bushels. The combination of those two things dropped the stocks estimate to the lowest corn stocks we've seen in seven years. So that definitely a boost to the corn market. December corn jumping 15 and a half on that news, closing at 423 a bushel. And then as we mentioned, the wheat market moving higher, getting support from the corn with December wheat up nine cents, 561 and a half. New crop July wheat up nine and a quarter, 579 and a quarter. In the energy markets, December natural gas up eight cents, two ninety-four. December crude oil up a dollar ten, forty-one thirty-nine. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up two hundred eighty points, twenty-nine thousand four thirty-eight. The Nasdaq down one hundred forty-eight, eleven thousand five sixty-five. The S&P five hundred down two, three thousand five hundred forty-eight. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up yet another episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'll see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.